0: So, uh, welcome to this episode of Anaesthesia on Air, the podcast from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. My name is Ian Moppett, chair of the Natsips Working Group. And with me, I've got some some of my colleagues from the Natsips Working Group.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Annie Hunninger, I'm a consultant anaesthetist.
0: I'm Susanna
2: Stanford, patient representative.
3: I'm Professor Scarlett McNally, a consultant orthopaedic surgeon in East Sussex, a deputy director for the Centre for Perioperative Care um, and an honorary clinical professor at Brighton and Sussex Medical School.
4: Hello, I'm Fran Watts, I'm a theatre nurse and was very involved in the development of NUTSIPS1.
0: Thanks everyone. So. Um, plan is, over the next uh, few minutes, we're going to have a discussion about what NATSIPs, that's the National Safety Standards for invasive Procedures, are, uh, why and how we've updated them, and how to make them work. But
2: first, Ian, any good story has a bit of background. So can you and Annie explain how this all started for you and how you became involved in the NATSIPs work?
0: Thanks, Susanna. Um, So I guess in terms of this piece of work, NatSips have been around for a while, but the um, in that time long ago before COVID, uh, the Centre for Perioperative Care, which is an umbrella organisation involving lots of organisations involved in perioperative care, were asked by NHS England to take on the NatSips work, to, to essentially to, to develop um, uh, these these standards in the light of things that have changed. And uh, I was asked to chair that group, following having done some work. Um, uh, locally in Nottingham and some, and some national work. So that's how I got involved. And CPOC is really pleased to be sort of to be leading this work on, across not just England but across the four nations. So Annie, how did we manage to persuade you to uh, to join this group?
1: For me, NatSIPS One uh, was an inspirational document which combined quality improvement, education, safety, and governance. And I uh, implemented it across Bart's Health which is five sites, a big quality improvement p- project, trained over 80 teams, multidisciplinary teams in NATSIPS, and collected a lot of qualitative data, developed checklists. If you look on Twitter, hashtag NATSIPS, uh, I'd done a lot. And through that, I met Fran, Joan Russell and William Harrick Griffiths, who were the original NATSIPS writers. And then they knew that I was really keen on it. And that's how I got involved with NATSIPS too, which has been a great pleasure.
0: Thanks, Annie. Um, so, Fran, uh, you've been involved with the WHO checklist almost since it started. And uh, as Annie's mentioned, you were intimately involved in the first NATSIPS and the implementation of, of, of NATSIP. So here's a tricky question for you. Start up at 10. <laughs> in a nutshell, um, what are NATSIPS?
4: So if I go back to the times when the WHO surgical safety checklist was introduced, so we we know when that came um, when that came into being that it was a great step forward in the delivery of safer care for patients that were having surgical procedures. Um, But we've learned over time that the benefits of the checklist approach can benefit all types of invasive procedures, so not just um, in surgery in theatres. So uh, we had a Never Events Task Force that published a report in 2014 and that advocated the need for higher level national standards for all invasive procedures, and that's how nat one was born. And we went on to develop those high level um, standards that provide a framework for anybody undertaking invasive procedures in any environment, um, a framework to work to to standardise practice and harmonise it across their organisations.
1: Writing the document is is only the start, of course, Fran. I know that you and colleagues did a lot of work looking at how the NATSITS had been embedded. What did the NATSITS implementation survey in 2018 tell you and us about how NATSITS
4: had landed? Yep. Yeah, so we, we learned that we're, NATSITS won in some places, some organisations. Um, Adopted them really well, and they um, they had uh, a very good method of introducing them into their organisation, and they did land very well. But we also learnt that many organisations found it very challenging to implement NATSIPS, and they were um, so. Therefore, they were inconsistently being applied um, across the board. Um, The perception there were quite a few perceptions at the time as to why this was the case. Um, Many people said that um, there was a perception of lack of time, uh, which we learned from the checklist days, from who checklist days, that's always a great concern, quite understandably, to organisations in practice, how they actually introduce um, things like the national standards uh, if they haven't got the time to do it. Um, they also felt that, um, that that some staff didn't have protected time to introduce them. So like you, Annie, at BARTs, you know, you really need somebody to sort of be a figurehead and a driving force behind the introduction of the standards. And although you did that very well at BARTs, it was felt that um, perhaps across the board, many other organisations didn't have that protected time for people to do it. And it felt that that was a, a really important thing to have. Uh, we know the organizational culture was very important. So if it was if if the standards were um, taken as being important and something that um, the trust board wanted their, their organisation to do, then that culture tended to be that uh, it, it then went throughout the organisation uh, and made that much easier to embed the standards uh, in the organisation. I think training also was a big, a big a big block for some people that there wasn't the time or the opportunity for staff to do the training, um, particularly multidisciplinary training that they needed um, to introduce the standards. Um and I think uh, perhaps a lack of expertise internally, um, with that, you know, sort of protected time of people to really embed, to drive the standards and embed them in practice throughout the organisation. So I think um, really quite patchy implementation we learnt, and we really wanted to make sure that if if there was an opportunity to review the standards, that um, this would be considered further as part of Natsips too.
0: Thanks, Fran. So, Annie, we've given a, a Fran, a hard question. I'm going to ask you to essentially to summarise um, many hours, weeks, and months of your life and the working group's life. Um, how does Natsips 2, the current version, differ from Natsips 1?
1: Well, we've taken on board what Fran's just talked about. So we've got a very strong emphasis on roles, capacity, and capability of organisations, and also external bod- bodies, what they're expecting. And really, that the importance of that visible leadership and investment in the people, the processes, and performance. Uh, we need to have appropriate resource into team-based education and training. And we need a more flexible, context-related approach rather than one size fits all. So this theme of proportionality runs through the document. Uh, the sequential steps, and that's it's eight, aren't really more steps, but much clearer delineation of what needs doing appropriate to risk and we're also working on an implementation pack to support trust in in implementing that SIPs too those are the main differences
2: this represents a, an enormous amount of effort and to be fair every theatre department should know what they're meant to be doing so why have we gone to all this effort
0: um, that's a fair question, Susanna, um, and uh, I guess one that we've asked ourselves at various points. I'm going to pick up a little bit on what Annie and, and Fran have alluded to already. The, um, and Actually, one of the things you, you mentioned that theatre departments know what they're doing. Even with the, the original Natsips, it doesn't talk about surgery, it talks about invasive procedures. And um, we're aware that if you ask a medical director where they worry about things not going right, it's not so much in theatres where you're right. Generally, people know what they're um, uh, know what they're doing, and this is sort of culturally embedded to an extent. But it's actually um, it's other areas. You know, invasive procedures happen across uh, across the whole of the acute sector. They happen in primary care as well, and getting that sort of approach in a proportional way across to all specialties, and not just the theatre areas. That's, I guess, a big focus, and hence that desire to sort of push it at organizational level about education for teams wherever they are, wherever they're doing invasive procedures. So you're right, it is a lot of work, but we think it's worth it. And um, so Susanna, you asked me a difficult question. I'm going to throw it back at you. Um, you've done you know, immense work in, uh, with, with patient safety, and you've talked to clinicians across the country in lots of different organizations. Um, and you've seen how it works and people will tell you the, they'll tell you the truth. Um, do you think, you know, be honest, do you think NATSIPs are actually truly embedded um, throughout organisations?
2: I think it's very variable, both within individual organisations and between different organisations. Um, within any organisation it comes from the top and it is important that senior managers are visibly engaged. It's important for them to understand that sips aren't just about the safe care of patients, but are, are a means to keep staff safe too. We've really got to focus on that in the times of, of attrition of clinical staff. But we so we need senior managers' active commitment to enable multidisciplinary training to happen. Franz already alluded to that, and then when you get the training, you get the engagement at a team level, where it's the difference between possibly being perceived as a tick box exercise and everyone fully engaging in the process. It's all about safety as a mindset and both encouraging the behaviours and embedding the processes which promote safe care. Annie, in the Natsits document, you introduced the principle of standardised, harmonise, and educate. Can you explain what that means in this context?
1: Well, the, the standardized harmonize and educate has run through both NAPSIS, but in NatSits 2 we've given a bit more detail in the sense that when we say standardise for the organization, we mean the safety behaviors, the processes, the policies, the insight and involvement and performance measure that go across the specialties and organization, but then standardizing in the sequential what the team are doing, the behavior, the checklist, the format across the invasive specialties. And again, the harmonisation would be across the hospitals and within the team across the specialties, reducing variation. And then the education is the organisation committing to train people in safety, human factors, systems thinking, having that safety infrastructure and leadership training to get that cultural change that we all really want. But then within the team, that the team understands human factor system thinking and the co-production of providing safe care with patients. I'd like to ask Scarlett something. She's one of the most passionate people that I know when it comes to getting teams to work together. We all know these Nazis are meaningless if they just sit on the shelf. How do you think we can ensure they are a reality for every team, every patient, every time? Thank
3: you that's what we need. We need this to just be normal. Um, We work in a very complex environment um, and we just need it to be reliable. We need a system that helps communicate, um, encourages situational awareness so that we every time we get it right and it's safe. And the problem I think is people are so busy that they don't realise we need to make these moments to be safe Um, We work in such a range of teams um, with different people all the time and it's really worthwhile making that time for to stop misunderstandings happening so that everybody's clear about what's expected, um, you know, even down to how long the operation will take or so that the right people haven't gone at the wrong time or something. So it's about getting everybody, every surgeon, including me and every member of staff to realise it's important and it's worthwhile doing and they've absolutely just got to slow down at those critical times because it makes the rest of that operating list or that procedure go so much better because people feel part of it.
1: Thank you. Susanna. As you know, we've really tried to keep the patient at the the centre of Natsips too. And you and Jenny have certainly kept us on our toes during the working group. Um, But sometimes patients can feel like they're passive actors in the processes. How do you think the
2: patient can be central to, to safety? It's about enabling them to speak up. Most people appreciate how the perception of hierarchy can have an influence in a multidisciplinary setting but we need to remember that patients experience that same sense of hierarchy. So there has to be a considered effort to involve patients and to give them the opportunities to speak up. And checklists provides the structure for that. Patients do need to understand why the checks are done and they do need to know that they are serious and that they require their, their full engagement too. But the checklist should enable patients to feel secure and to know that the whole team is focused on providing safe care. Fran and Scarlett, you can um, doubtless describe many cases, but can you give us uh, an example of a case where Natsips have prevented a patient from harm? Yep. And so in my surgical role at the
4: moment, I'm currently working in a GP practice setting up, um, supporting the setting up of a hernia list, local anaesthetic hernia list. And um, we had a patient, uh, a near miss, where we had a patient for, um, he was having bilateral hernias um, repaired, and um, the consultant had listed him to have the left side done first. But when the patient arrived in the morning of his procedure, he decided he wanted the right side done first. Um, the patient, uh, the surgeon, had reconsented him and um, obviously made sure he was marked appropriately. And when he came into theatre as part of the checks and processes that we do, as, as uh, that Nat Sips describe, um, we'd obviously, the, the team had picked up that the opposite side had been marked as what was on the um, theatre list. And we had a stop moment where we checked all the documentation and we checked with the patient, because obviously he was under local, uh, and with the consultant to make sure that we were doing the, the right side um and everything went according to plan but it just shows how one small change in the whole process can then therefore um create a, a an incident where there may be a, a, a the wrong side is operated on um,
3: thanks in fact my example is very similar and um if i look back over 20 years of operating um, you can't afford for just one or two things to go wrong. Um, it needs to be right each time. Um, and Fran's point about changes in the list or something change in the order or some um, change in personnel it just increases the opportunities for errors. So my example um, is just that someone being helpful put the arm table attached to the operating table on the wrong side. They were being helpful you Know they'd helped wash it or whatever and they're putting it back, um, but it was on the wrong side f- for the side the patient was due to have an operation on. Um, and luckily a member of staff said, Um, that's not right, is it? And then we changed everything around. Now, these kind of things actually happen quite much more than we realize. Um, so we need to do these stop, slow down moments and just make sure everybody is doing the right thing.
0: Thanks, Fran and scholar. and um. Just an interesting, little point, well, interesting to me point, just listening to Fran and, and Scarlett, um, uh English is a right pain at this point because I, if listeners may have noticed they both talked about something being on the right side. Uh, I think what they meant was it's on the correct side. Um, and if listeners can go away at least make sure that when they talk about right, they mean the right hand side and when they mean correct, they mean correct. So that would be lovely. Um, that is a source of confusion.
3: Ian, you're not supposed to say right. Right only means that side of the body. You've got to say correct. I was all getting ready to apologize for having got it wrong earlier. And ju- we just need to give a clear message to the listeners that left leg, right leg is something correct. That's what we need to be saying.
0: And talking of confusion. Um, Annie, this is probably the wrong format. This is a podcast, there's no pictures, but I love it. I get these messages from you with another photo. I'm sure they're not all from your trust. Um, with your ne- your never-ending co- collection of safety photos. Just tell us, uh, tell, tell the listeners, describe these for us. Um, your Napsips photo collection, what's it about? Why do, why do you collect these photos of nightmares?
1: I've got an extensive photo collection and as Ian knows, I send you one probably every week and, look at this, look at that. Some of the, the best ones I've had, so I've got one of account board where they'd also put which teeth were to be removed and so it looked like there were four small swabs but it looked like tooth four needed to come out and that's an absolute classic sort of mistake waiting to happen i've got loads of consents with the laterality crossed out uh, and laterality not written in full which is should be a red flag to anyone i've got loads of site marking ones you know crosses text, all sorts of things and I've got loads of ones of lists, like really, really poor scheduling, sort of funny names, wrong names, wrong procedure. And um over the years I've collected thousands of photos. I should probably publish a book or something. But um what I mean is if you're looking for risk and you know you can see it, and we need reliable systems. So the photos really help to tell the story. And when I show these photos to people, you know, we need to engage people with NATSIPs and the photos. You know, the hearts and minds gets people on board and makes them realise the variation that's out there.
4: Yeah. So some some people, listening, might be thinking about, um, especially those from a theatre background, might be thinking about what's meant by uh, minor and major procedures in the uh, context of NatSIPS. So can you give some examples, Ian, about what might be considered to be a minor procedure or major?
0: Yeah. Thanks, Fran. Because um, as we alluded to right at the start, one of the things we should try to do within NatSIPS too is getting a bit more responsive because one of the bits of feedback we get from people is you know you're making me do all of these checks for something which is um which may not need all of these may not need all of these checks and we know that makes people tired they get, they get they get check fatigue and that's that's when we run into problems so um this might be a new concept and we're not talking about whether it's major or minor from a patient point of view Um all procedures are major from a patient point of view but what we're talking about is just being proportional in what we do so um minor things those are going to be outpatient or emergency department procedures under local anaesthesia which might take place in the treatment room something where there's only a couple of um might only be two practitioners and something you know a rule of thumb would be if for people who are used to the, the WHO checklist stuff if the sign in and time out can sensibly um, be combined if that makes sense then that's probably a minor procedure Whereas something which is in you know, a GA case or you know there's a larger team or where you know there's a clear separation between induction of anesthesia or induction of a block and, and the surgical timeout, that would be something which we we'd be talking about as a major procedure. So um, the I'm gonna ask everybody on this one. Um, it's probably fair to say that when you when we go around trust or we talk about um NATSIPs or um, safer surgery and that sort of thing. There can be a collective sense of doom um, that either healthcare professionals, as individuals or trusts, um, are essentially provide easy pickings for auditors um, and regulators just to find fault. It's easy to just go around saying you didn't do do something, um, which we know isn't what's supposed to happen. So, how do we make it that measuring and monitoring for Natsips 2 to uh, we're doing the right thing? And and I guess I'm asking that question to all really, but within the organisation, how do we measure it within the organisation and that, how, how do we get people like the CQC or commissioners or ICSS, all those, those groups to actually, to look at what NATSIPs 2 is all about rather than going around with a metaphorical or literal um, uh, clipboard and a pen?
1: Well, within NATSIPs 2 the organisational standards, we've broadly divided it into people, processes and performance, and I think the performance aspect is much more about qualitative measures of what was actually happening within organisations, within teams and I think you know that's how we need to monitor it and we need the big bodies like the CQC, we need the colleges to have it within the syllabus, we need inspectors to be looking for these performance measures around NATSIPS for it really to land within organisations as something that they really need to take on board.
4: I think to add to that, and it's really important that those that that do monitor the the effectiveness of standards, they actually understand what they're there for. We know from checklist days that, um, you know, just just monitoring whether the checklist has been done and saying, yes, it's been consistently done is fine, but they need to be checking to see how well it's been done. And I think that's really true for the standards as well.
3: Um, Can I just say there is a place um, for checking things have been done um, because It does allow other staff to ensure that um, things happen at all if things are busy and rushed and and that sort of thing. So it is it is very empowering as a kind of binary. This really needs to happen or not um, moment for other staff. Um, And I think there should be monitoring of whether training has occurred, whether education has occurred, whether it's been discussed in governance meetings and that sort of thing, which is a little bit more difficult to do. But I think in terms of multidisciplinary um, ways of working, I I think it's still quite useful um, to monitor that things that it is being done at all, and maybe a highlight of how engaged people were to follow up on that. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Scarlett. Um, and I, I completely agree with all of those. I think that getting people to have the um, uh, maturity to look at how the organisation is doing things is really, really important. That you know, are they investing in education? Have they got senior leadership there? Because that's what's going to drive it. And you're right. We need to people need to be seen to be doing the right thing on the ground. But that organisational level is really important. So um, we've got really big ambitions. Um, Susanna, you've sort of seen this sort of from the inside and from the outside. What do you think?
2: I think that NATSIPs 2 will take effort to implement, but having worked on it from the inside, I think we really hope to take some of the pressure off healthcare professionals with tools that reduce the cognitive load and support them in their everyday activities. And so help teams to provide safe care. And that's simply what everybody wants.
0: Thank you, Susanna. And so thank you very much to uh, everybody who's been listening. Uh, We hope you found this podcast interesting. And importantly, if you've got thoughts and comments on on that, on the process, um, please do let us know either via um, CPOC at rcoa.ac.uk or you can find out more information on the CPOC website that's cpoccpoc.org.uk. so thank you very much for listening